You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. It's a joy to be back here and to see you today is as much as it is a sad thing when our college students are on break and they go away and go home. It's a good thing for Kelly and I because our college students from my home gets to come here and they, I get to see them. So, um, But uh, it's good to see you. Before we take some time to get into the Word, we're going to be back in the book of Luke today. And before we do that, I just want us to push the pause button just for a few minutes and call out to the Lord for His help and for His guidance, specifically um, as I sat there in between grilling and smoking things and talking with my family and my kids and watching the reports of what's going on in Israel. My heart just was growing sadder and sadder and then went to bed last night and I was praying about it last night and this morning uh, I, I just feel convicted that we're, st- we're supposed to stop and pause and pray for the people there, um, all the people there. We're praying specifically for the people of Israel and we're praying for the leaders there, we're praying for wisdom and guidance uh, early in the first service, I, I mentioned that we should be not only praying for those who are making decisions for um, strikes or not strikes and when to hold back and where to advance and where not to advance. We are praying also for, every, for wisdom for every home, for every mom, every dad that's making a decision probably right now. Do we leave? Do we go? Do we do this? Where do we, what do we do? We're hearing a bunch of things. I want to encourage you, um, however you get your news to not be in awe of the news. We are here at our church to be in awe of God, who's sovereign over all things. We want to be in awe of his work and his hand and his promises. And that's why we want to pray. We want to pray to him and ask for his guidance and care. We are praying, just by way of reminder to you, uh, we are pleading for Christian people to be Christian people, to uh, have hope and to bring people to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. We are praying that people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no way to the Father except through Jesus. So we're praying that for the Palestinians. We're praying for that for the Jewish people, Jewish and Gentile, that they would come to know the hope of Jesus Christ. So let's go to the Lord now and pray that God would give us wisdom as he's as we're praying for him to give them wisdom. So let's do that now. Lord, it is in complete and total reverence to you, the one whom we just sang to, the, the one that we love to sing about, of worthy, worthy and holy and holy. You are the one that we are in awe of. You are the one who's written the plans and you know and have shared the promises. You have placed every king in his place. You direct the heart of every king like a, like a stream of river. You, oh God, are sovereign and you reign so we bow before you. We submit and take this time to be still before you. We are asking and pleading that you would give wisdom. 
to all those in leadership in Israel, to both, Lord, we're praying for both the Jews and the Gentiles there. We're praying for any and all who are hostile toward you and your son. We're, we're asking for mercy and the gospel to spread so that all would be made aware of their need for Jesus Christ. We're praying, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give our country's leaders wisdom on next steps and how to engage and when and if and that, God, you would just do all of this for your glory. We're, we're asking for joy. We, we, we always talk about peace in the Middle East, but Lord, I'm asking for joy united joy in the kingdom of God for you. And we know, Lord, what your word says about when that will come. And so, Lord, we are saying and we're asking for, the, for Maranatha, oh God, that you would come and that you would enlighten and that you would pour out your blessings. Please, Lord. With this, Lord, we know that there are homes here with hostility and tension. We know there's aggravation and brokenness. We know there's disease and illnesses and and complications that are happening, Lord. And we just want to submit to you and we want to ask that you bring humility into our lives so that we will be made aware of what it is we're in awe of more than we are of you. Center our hearts. Heal those who are broken, heal those who are hurting with some sort of malady of some sort. Give us joy in your word and in your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for doing that with me. I, I want to encourage you to continue to pray if you want information or insight on how we're praying, uh, maybe we can post some stuff, um, but that's how we're praying. We're praying that we would be in awe of God and that God would be near and help all of those involved. So I pray that you would continue to do that. We are in the book of Luke. I know last week we did a little zig and zag thing. Uh, we've been talking about going through the book of Luke and looking at this series of face-to-face encounters with Jesus and We are specifically in Luke chapter 9, looking at the specifics of, it seems like almost every story in the context is revealing some new way to connect and identify with Jesus. Looking at him in some way, Jesus is revealing himself. He's asking people to determine and understand who they think he is, and and he just keeps doing stuff and revealing more stuff about himself. And last week, we... We're still going through the book of Luke, but we sort of looked at what Mark chapter 9, how, they, how it's written out in Mark 9, and we're coming back to sort of complete this chapter in Luke. We're going to read from verse 43 to 51 in Luke chapter 9 as we um, get into today's message. So follow along with me, verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But 
while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they may, might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Lord, this is your word. It is our hope. We pray that you would identify more of yourself in this and that you would help us to identify who we are in you and who we are detached from you. Show us beautiful things from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to unpack the scenario for you a little bit, in case you don't know, or there's a transition going on here. Jesus is completing his time in Galilee. His Galilean ministry is coming to a close. Uh, he had healed some people. He had miraculous, in an amazing way delivered people from demonic possession it wasn't secret. Word about him was spreading. There was captivity, people in captivity, whether by illness or demonic possession, that were now freed. He allowed his disciples, a few of his disciples, to, to come up on the mountain with him to get a glimpse of his divine glory. And Jesus is now setting his face to go toward Jerusalem. He is setting his face to go to now the next phase of ministry. And this is getting real. This is a time in which he is now, he's telling us, like things are about to get a little different here as we move forward. There's a different type of ministry, different intentionality. There's going to be different things said. There's going to be different action. Right now I'm popular. Right now I'm trending. Oh, I'll be trending moving forward, but it won't be in a way that you think or you will like. The cross is coming. So Jesus takes his time to sort of, kind of gives some special instructions to disciples. He kind of rallies them in. Mark, in Mark chapter 9, uh, we believe that it's likely happening within a home, most likely Peter's home. And he begins with these words saying, let these words sink into your ears. Think, think about that. Let, let these words sink into your ears. Jesus is saying this. Jesus had just come down from the mountain. He healed somebody. But before he came down from the mountain, there were three disciples that heard the audible voice of God saying, this is my son, listen to his words. Listen to what he says. And Jesus even expounds on that more. Let these words sink into your ears. And what follows then is a conversation that reveals 
the pride of the disciples, the poison pride of the disciples. In this section, what we see is some odd behavior from the disciples. And if we're being honest, if we're looking at this, it, it looks odd that they would act this way. But let's be honest, we tend to do what we see the disciples doing here. What we see here is the disciples hear something Jesus says and they skirt the topic. They change the topic. Let's, let's redirect Jesus here from dealing with what he's saying that he's telling us. Let's redirect it this way. Look at it with me. In verse 44 through 45, he says, let these words sink in. My sacrifice is coming. I'm going to be delivered to men. They're too afraid to ask. What happens next? Verse 46. An argument rose among them. What's the argument about? Is it about what he just said? Is it about who's afraid to ask Jesus what it means? No, they changed the subject. Uh, okay, let's talk about who's great. It happens again, verse 47 and uh, 48. Jesus explains to them what it, what's happening with your argument and why that's out of whack. We're going to get into that in a minute. He corrects their ambition for greatness. And then there's a redirection again. John, who by his own pen says the one whom Jesus loved, John, this special relationship with Jesus, he even changes the subject. He says in verse 49, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he was not follow with us. There's, there's a change. Like, why are the disciples doing this? Don't, don't we do this? I mean, let's be honest, is there, there are times when you come and you're reading plan and you're reading through scriptures or there's a part of scripture you don't understand and you're like, you're afraid to kind of dig deeper, you're afraid to go further into it, maybe because you're out of time, maybe you don't like what it says, maybe you're like, ooh, that's harsh, I don't understand it. So you redirect and you go to some other place or you're in a Bible study or a small group and the Holy Spirit or maybe right now in this sermon, you're already redirecting thinking about soccer because you don't like what's going on right now with what's coming at you. We do this. This is what they are doing. Like, uh, I don't know. Let's go here. Uh, I don't know. Let's go here. What we see here and what is being re revealed is the deep, deep problem of pride. So what I want us to do today is I want us to notice the problem of pride in our life. And then I want us to notice the help that we have for humility. So two sections here in the sermon. You're going to like endure a lot of this pride talk. And then at the very end, you're going to be like, any out of time? And then we're going to look at the help for humility. But no, that's what we're going to look at today, Lord willing, and what we see here in this text. Let's first think about the problem of pride. Specifically, how pride ruins relationships. We know this, don't we? The pride in our lives ruins relationships. How does it do that? Well, first of all, pride wrecks the unity in the relationships. Verse 46 starts out with an argument. An argument rose among them. What's the argument about? An argument rose about them of which of them was the greatest. An argument rose. Don't we see this all the time? Whenever Jesus, or whenever we have hard things, there seems to be, no matter what we do, sort of this, this defensiveness of our place in that organization in some way. An argument 
rises up that's fueled from pride. And it wrecks unity. We see this a lot in our lives. I'll give you one example where I've seen it in the life of, of our family. And, and, and what we've done in our past is uh, several years ago when my son was uh, being asked to be recruited to be a part of an AAU basketball team, there was this, um, this big recruitment stuff going where the coach was going to all the high school games and was recruiting uh, the son and he's meeting with the parents and the coach is doing what coaches do that are trying to recruit and there's like, here's what we're going to have. We're going to play a different style. We don't want to highlight just one player over the others. We're going to be a team. We're going to be a system. It's gonna, and, and that was his plan and he wasn't lying about any of that. But we're going to just, this is going to be good for your son. And the boys bought into it. The parents bought into it. It was really cool. And everything, we had our first meeting. And all of this great energy of this is different. We're a unified AAU team. And it's not about the individual. It's about da-da-da-da. But then, that was in the summer. Or actually, no, that was in the spring. And then the new state rankings came out for each individual player. The top 200 players in Texas. What do you think was happening with the players on our AAU team? Why are you number 77? If you're 77, then I should at least be 76. Why are you 110? If you're 110, then I should be at least 108. If you're on the ranking, bottom person on the team, then I should definitely be lower in the ranking. All of a sudden, this argument arose, and you saw the pride of the players, and then you think it's just the players. The parents are like, why is my son only ranked so-and-so? We're all bought in two weeks later. This outside source who's never talked to us, never talked to our son, starts ranking them. And dissension, unity begins to get wrecked. That's what's happening to the disciples. That's what's being called out here. An argument rose up among them. All of this amazing stuff is happening in the pride of the disciples begins to wreck the unity of the group. Pride ruins relationships by wrecking the unity, but pride ruins relationships by rewriting reality. Verse 46b, it says, An argument rose amongst them of, of which of them was the greatest. How many times have we heard someone rewrite, rewrite reality because of pride, exaggerations, hyperbole flow out of the person who's insecure and trying to cover something up with their pride. You've heard them before, people who go on and on about telling the tall tales of what they caught or how they did this or what they bench press or how they've won this person and done all this. It's all this reaction of pride. They're rewriting the reality that they know it. In this particular situation, remember who the disciples are. Fishermen, tax collectors, doubters, soon to be revealed, cowards. They're in this room rewriting their own identity. All of a sudden, now, they're seeing greatness in themselves. Their own worth. I mean, let's be fair. Most of, the, most of the disciples believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. In their minds, they're not thinking cross. They're thinking throne. 
They're not thinking suffering, even though Jesus just said, I'm about to surrender my life to the men. They're thinking conquering. They're thinking now, because of their pride, things have changed. We once were humble, worthless, the outcast of people. Now we are welcomed in. This is what we love about Jesus. He welcomes in the riffraff, but now the riffraff get a taste of this glory, and they're like, look how great we are. Just a few years before this, they would have never had this argument. But now... This pride has rewritten rewritten the reality of their lives. They are arguing. The unity is being wrecked. This is what pride does. We've been chosen. We have arrived. We're legit. We're now doing this. He sent us out. He didn't send them out. He sent us out. He's hanging with us. We're that inner circle of studs that Jesus wants. Pride rewrites reality, damages relationships. We start thinking, we deserve this, we deserve that. You're not giving it to me, so I deserve better. Coming from this rewriting of reality, and it damages relationships. The other thing that pride does to our relationships and how it damages it is pride excludes other people. Verse 49, that's what John redirects the attention to. Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because, why do they try to stop him? Because he does not follow with us. Oh, how John is missing out on something so beautiful and so important. We have seen this in ministry. We have seen it in ministry at this church and churches that we plant and people that are wanting to cancel, wanting to do this, and they're not involved and they're not tasting the beauty of it. Instead of seeking and digging in and wanting to hear the story of God's glorious work, they're like, no, you're not a part of us. He's not a part of us. We don't want anything to do with him. Shut him out. When... When God operates in a way that doesn't meet our formula, like we're only supposed to plant churches this way with the approval of these people and do it this way. We're only supposed to build ministries this way to meet the approval of this denomination and this setting. You're not going to get our blessing unless this happens or unless this happens. Behold your God. Forget your pride. And exclude your at the in your excluding others when we do that and and instead include what God is doing here's what John is missing out on we see it in in three ways he's missing out first of all because of his pride on celebrating the freedom that some are having from captivity he's even acknowledging it some were casting out demons In your name, some were doing this. This means people are becoming free. People are experiencing joy. There's life being spread out. John can't even celebrate that because of his pride. He's excluding that as even something to celebrate and a good thing. He's missing out on the joy. Excluding others, not only did he miss out on seeing people set free, he misses out on a chance to praise and exalt Jesus' name. Master, we saw someone casting out demons 
in your name. This would be a pause to be like, hey, Jesus, it's working. People are buying into your kingdom message. It's spreading. This is good news. You're so amazing, Jesus. No, what does he do? He camps out on, well, they're not with us. This is what pride does. It hurts relationships because it excludes people. And this means that Jesus and the praise and the exaltation of Christ is missed out on. We also see that this exclusion of others because of our pride means that we're not including the men. These are all kind of the same thing, including the men and celebrating and spreading the celebration. Whoever these people are that's doing this work are remaining left out. We don't even get their names because John doesn't say their names. The celebration is cut off. They are not with John. This is what pride does. This is how pride hurts relationships. It's how it rewrites the reality. This is how it, it, it wrecks unity. This is what pride does as it excludes others. You're not as good as me. You don't think like I do. You're not doing it the way I would do it. So you're out there. There could be a reality of jealousy in John here. If you remember, last week when Jesus was, um, come, came down from the mountain and there, the demon was uh, possessing and then he was able to cast the demon out and then uh, they pulled Jesus aside later and says, how come we weren't able to do that? And Jesus rebukes him and says, well, this one's only cast out by prayer. And one translation of Matthew says prayer and fasting. So in a way, it was a rebuke of Jesus to the disciples. You're not relying on me. You're relying on your strength. This, this demon is only cast out from those who are relying on me, who are praying and fasting. And here we have this other person who John is pointing out that's casting out demons. There's probably a, a, just a, a cut on John's pride. They're doing this and we're not. They're not part of us. Pride excludes others. This is what pride does. Pride is so tricky and it's so ugly. Pride doesn't only ruin the relationships of the people around us or those not in the group or those within the group. Most importantly, pride damages the relationship we have with God. That's what this is about. Verse 46 through 48, we see Jesus' response Argument breaks out, and here's what Jesus says, verse 47. Knowing the reasoning of their hearts, he took a child and put him by his side. He said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. What's the issue with children here? Is Jesus saying, okay, it's all about children's ministry. It's all about go out and make the biggest and best children. No, that's not what this is about. Children were of no value. They were, in some way, kind of in the way, hindrances. People were supposed to take care of and protect, but they, they didn't offer much. That's what was, of this time, there was no value. So Jesus is taking the very least in the room, the very lowest in the room, the people who aren't able to talk, not allowed to talk, not allowed to even get in the way of anything, and he's bringing them near and saying, this is what I'm after, this humility. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. 
Whoever receives a child like this in humility, they get access to me. Whoever gets me gets access to the Father. Pride rejects the divine and the holy. Several reasons for that. Pride rejects the divine and the holy because pride rejects authority. I don't care what it says. I've, I've got a new reality that I wrote in my life, and that's what's going to win this conversation. My new reality that I rewrote, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what the authority says. I'm rejecting it. That's what pride does. Pride rejects the divine and the holy because pride rejects reality. Pride rejects the divine and holy because his ways are not our ways. The pride doesn't see that as good news. The proud doesn't see it as good news. Pride rejects the divine and the holy because the proud do not want to die to themselves, which is what Jesus just told them to do. If you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Pride rejects the divine and the holy because the proud do not want a savior because the proud do not believe they need saving. We better take seriously the pride that might be within us. We need to take seriously what scripture says about pride. There's a lot of scriptures that we could look to. I'm actually going to look at one very long text with you. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to read verses 6 through 22. It is a long read. But I want us to hear the gravity and the problem of pride and how it damages our relationship with God. And I want you, as you read this, if you're still kind of on the fence, is, is pride a big deal or is it not? Do you think maybe at the end your, your partnership or your, the deal that you make with the man upstairs is going to be able to just sort of kind of excuse the pride in your life? Let's look at this and see if pride is a problem to God and therefore a problem for us. At the beginning of the chapter, we see the timing of what's going on in the world today. We see these words, the word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, Saul concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And then verse 6, I don't know what your Bible says, but in mine it says, there's a little subheading there. It says, the day of the Lord. There's coming a day with what we're about to read is going to be the reality. Verse 6. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east, and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. Verse 9. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from 
before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low. And the lofty pride of man shall be humbled. And the day and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. There's more. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty. You hearing that? There's a day against, not some, against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. I mean, this, this is absolute language here. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled. And the lofty pride of man shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away. And people shall enter the caves of rocks and the holes of the ground and before the terror of the Lord. And from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to do what? To terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caves of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Verse 22, stop regarding Man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? Jason, that's so dark. It's disturbing. I want us to see the reality of the problem of pride. That God is very clear and there is scripture all throughout that reminds us that God opposes the proud. We make a huge error again and again and again when we brag, when we boast about our creativity, about how clever we are, about our strategies, about our money, about our resources, about our nations, about our buildings, about institutions, about our wisdom. We make the mistake over and over and over again when God is saying, the way to me is through humility, not pride. Several years ago, I was coming back from a, it's called a leadership conference, but what was happening, there's thousands and thousands of people in Atlanta that were gathering, and it was this conference that seemed to celebrate the creative speakers that we have nowadays. And each speaker would come up and, and give their version of what they think is the word from the Lord, and, and, and they would usually kind of give this little hype up about their creativity. Here's what we're doing at our church or at our institution. It was, and it just left a bad taste in my mouth. I didn't like it. It just seemed pompous. On the way home, in my reading plan, on the plane, this is just the reading plan. I didn't go out looking for scriptures to beat against what I just heard. 
just reading in the reading plan, I come to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, which says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord. Who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Again, let's face it. There is no gray area in scripture that would allow the prideful person to feel comfortable. God opposes the proud. It ruins relationships. What we see here in this text is not only the problem of pride, we see the help that we have in humility. And we'll wrap up as we look at this real quick, this amazing, wonderful example of Jesus, our not only our, our teacher, he's our leader, he's our Lord. A few things we see here in Jesus' response in Luke. The first one I want to point out, it's, it's funny that the disciples argued about who's the greatest right after Jesus shared what he shared. But here's the first help that we have in humility and following Jesus is that's this. That's this. The majestic one submits. The one worthy of majesty is the one who's saying, I'm about to submit to men. What kind of help is that for us? He's doing it. Why can't we do it? Verse 43. They were all astonished at the majesty of God. It, who was astonished? Just a few? They all were. Whoa, no one like him. Whoa. They were all marveling at everything he was doing. Everything he was doing, they were marveling. And then Jesus says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. The majestic one submits. This is stunning for us. This doesn't fit our paradigm. It's so uncomfortable for the disciples that they change the subject. Whoa, what? I don't get that. I don't like this. Jesus is saying, I'm about to give myself up. I'm about to surrender myself. I'm about to surrender everything to them because that's what the Son of Man has to do. It's what the King of Kings, the author of life, has chosen to do for something better. The majestic one submits. The proud will not submit. They don't want to submit to authorities. They don't want to submit to one another. They don't want to submit to commitments. They don't want to submit to a church. They don't want to submit to anyone else. They don't like the word. It's a cuss word. But the majestic Christ is doing it. The other help that we have is not just that Jesus did it and that he submitted. We also see the help here that the least will be great. Don't you love this great news for he who is the least among you all is the one who is great. Greatness is coming. I'm not saying don't be ambitious. Jesus isn't saying, hey, nobody should want greatness. He's saying, you want greatness. Ditch the pride. Seek humility. What good news is that for us? Christ did it. 
I want to follow Jesus. The least will be great. The proud don't like that. They don't like the least of anything. They don't believe in the promise of greatness through humbling yourself. Thirdly, we see a help here that the least of these will be included. That's what he's saying here. It's like, I'm bringing in the least of these. I'm bringing in this children. I'm bringing in the person, John, that you don't even want to name, the one you don't want to, They're part of me. They're for us. How helpful is this? That the exclusive and the elitist will miss out, but the least of these will be brought in. The proud will neglect the true mission of Christ. They believe they have a better plan than God does. What help for us as we seek humility to know that we have one that humbled himself, one that promises greatness to the humble, and one that wants to include the humble. We know where pride comes from. Jesus even acknowledges it here in verse 47. It says, Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts. So how do we deal with this? How do we cling to the help we have in Jesus? Noticing the problem of pride. Well, I'll share with you what we shared in the first services, and that's this. Here's what I have to pray. Here's what kind of what Paul prayed. I want to ask you to consider this. If you see that pride might be a problem, but maybe you can't see it, let's start with this. Number one, you might want to write these down. First of all, ask God something like this. God, will you please reveal to me where I have pride? Just ask him. That is a prayer God will not mind answering in your life. Why? Because he's opposed to the proud. He wants the least of them to come to him. He is saying, he's inviting us, come pray this prayer. God, will you please reveal to me where I have pride? Let me see it. I might be blind to it. I don't know if it's there or where it's at. Pray that. Number two, confess it back to him. What, once he shows, once the spotlight comes in on you, and he shows you, just confess it back. Something like this, Lord, I see it. I don't like it. I don't want it. God, will you reveal to me my pride? Oh, ouch, that hurts. That stings. It's ugly. I don't like this. I don't want it anymore. I see it, God. Ask for his help. Confess it back to him. Thirdly, Ask for his help to take it. Will you take it away from me? And will you change me? These are simple prayers. We can pray them. You can pray them with your kids at dinner today. Show us where we have pride. Lord, take it. I don't want it. Help me change. Fourth thing, and this is a little more, takes a little more work. Watch. For the weakness revealed. Watch for the weaknesses. Where's that coming from? We'll close with these two passages of Scripture. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You might know this text. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul had just talked about and been writing some books to the Corinthians inspired by God, and he gets to this text in chapter 12 where he confesses this and reveals this to the Corinthian church. Verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul didn't want pride. He's seeing pride. He's confessing it back. He's asking for help to remove it. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Do you notice that he says it was given to him? Like, is that a gift you want? To keep me from being conceited, I've been given a thorn, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your, what? You already at lunch? Weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast. There's where Paul gives permission to boast. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, with insults hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He knows that Jesus is the way to humility. He knows that humility is the way to peace and oneness with God. He knows that he's making a wreck of stuff, and he needs this, and God knows that it is the thorn. Basically, Paul, you want to eliminate all the imperfections in your life, the things you're not proud of, the things you don't like. I'm here to give you grace, and that grace looks like this imperfection that's reminding you to rely on me. Watch for the weaknesses. Ask God, Lord, I want to be great, but I don't want pride to make me great. I want humility. Show me where my pride is. I don't like it. Take it away from me and let me see those weaknesses so that I can make much of you forever. We have a Lord and a Savior who is beautiful. And to the Philippians, and we'll close with this, Paul says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, Any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That sounds like unity, right? Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but... In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Think about the argument 
of the disciples ranking themselves of greatness. And here Paul is saying, do the opposite of that. Count others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Don't just be inclusive, excluding everybody else. Let your humility look at other things and what God is doing in them. And then verse 5, he gives us our hero. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing in the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He is our help for humility as we deal with this problem of pride. Let's go to the Lord now and just ask for his help. Ask for his wisdom as we seek the humility that makes our relationship with him flourish. Oh God, Heavenly Father, thank you. You are more devoted to my relationship with you than I am. You love us so much that you would, if need be, give us a messenger, even of Satan, that causes trouble so that it would humble us. That's not how we would choose it, Lord, but it's what we need. It's what you're doing to protect the relationships we have with others. You're, you're, things are imperfect and things are broken and things are hurting and things are distorted, but God, you, you're in it to keep us humble. God, please show us our pride when things are imperfect. Help us to surrender our all to you. Jesus, thank you for being the hero of our faith, helping us embrace humility as something wonderful for this church. We love you. In Jesus' name.